0: Just everything he said was true, and uh, we feel that on Sundays, and definitely feeling that this evening as well. So, thank you for this opportunity. Um, on Sunday, Greg preached about God's providence in Saul's life, and um, I was I wasn't here Sunday, but I was I listened to it this morning and um, was thinking about this sermon and just saw a lot of overlap. So I hope that you guys see that you know what he preached on Sunday. In one man's life, in, you know, and in your life, what we're gonna look at is that on a big scale, on a cosmic scale. Um, we're gonna look at God's remedy for the fall, uh, as well as the sin and curse that resulted from it. Um, we're gonna look at Genesis three, uh, specifically what God says to the serpent. And then we're gonna look at a lot of other scripture to see how we should interpret what was said to the serpent. Um, because we're gonna use a lot of scripture, I wanna make sure that we all um, understand what the Bible is, so we're going to make a couple of affirmations up front here. (laughs) Um, The Bible is God's word. It's his authority. It reveals what we need to know about God. Uh, Tells us God is completely sovereign. Uh, He's unchanging. He's holy. Uh, He acts for his glory. He acts for our good, and all this is true even when we sin against him. There was never a time that he was not in control. There was never a time that he was surprised. There was never a time that he changed his mind. With that aside now, let's review the events that led up to the passage in Genesis 3. So God formed man in his image. He formed him out of the dust of the ground. He breathed life into his nostrils. He planted him in a garden. Uh, He planted a garden, and then he placed the man in the garden, and then he commanded the man. One command, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Then God created the woman out of the man, and finally, a talking serpent deceived a woman and she ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she gave it to the man. Then God arrived and made a proclamation regarding the serpent, then the woman, then the man. Tonight, we're just going to look at what he said to the serpent. Uh, so Genesis three fourteen and 15 is going to be our main passage. It's, the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts in the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the man and the woman sinned, but God initially curses the serpent. Um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, other than to say, you know, he lays him low in the ground, he's on his belly, he's in a non-striking position. He's non-threatening. Um, But the man and the woman, they sinned. And the penalty was death. God said, "If you on that day you will surely die. And later when God talks to the woman and he talks to the man, we're gonna learn that they're marked for death. They're being removed from the garden and the ground is cursed because of their sin. But in this moment, before he even gets to that, before he even gets to their curse, he actually gives them grace. He says that there's going to be a period of time that they're gonna be alive. In fact, they're gonna be alive for enough time to oppose a serpent And even bear children that's a blessing and he does and this does not mean that God changed his mind remember we said God doesn't change his mind so Moses who wrote Genesis also wrote the book of numbers and he says God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind has he said it and he will not do it or has he spoken it and he will not fulfill it obviously not so in this moment God is showing his mercy His mercy is not created in this moment. It was created before at the foundation, before the foundation of the world. His mercy was created. In this moment, he's just displaying his mercy. Before he even speaks to the man and the woman, he has already provided grace for them. And he does it in two ways. First, as we mentioned, they're not going to die right now. Second, they and their offspring are going to be opposed to the serpent. He's turning their affection towards him. Away from the serpent, away from their sin, and he's turning it towards them. But it's not just them in this moment, it's also their offspring. The disobedience that was created by, uh, that was committed by one, by Adam, he was representing all of humanity there. Adam broke the covenant with God that was made in the garden, and he introduced sin into the world and set humanity on a course for death. So God's not just being merciful to the man and the woman in this moment. He's actually presenting a remedy for future generations. And we're gonna see later, as we get through this, it's for his glory, all right? Let's not get confused in this and think this story is about us. This is all about God, it's for his glory here. And he does, he, he demonstrates his glory, actually, and, and he's going, to, and as he says, in a battle, all right? This is, uh, this is imagery I enjoy, I guess, but... Uh, It's not just any battle right this is a battle that was understood since god spoke these words as having cosmic consequences okay so as we talked about providence in saul's life this is providence across the universe right here he has two representative champions he has the serpent we learn that he's a creature more crafty than any other field in the beast any other beast in the field and then we have the offspring of the woman this is a riddle Okay, this is the unknown. This is some mystery man that's going to show up at a later time. So we don't know necessarily in this moment, in this passage, who that offspring is, but we do know the outcome of the battle. The offspring shall bruise this head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay? If you step on a serpent's head, it's going to die. But if the serpent is venomous and it bites your heel, there's a chance you're going to die. Um, So what we know is the offspring will defeat the snake. He's gonna rescue humanity, but we don't know at what cost. This is the big question that's presented in in Genesis. We know the outcome, we don't know the cost. And so this is where we're gonna spend our time. We're gonna identify the two champions. Then we're gonna describe the battle and the victory. And finally, we're gonna consider our place in the story. So first we're gonna look at the serpent. We see his offspring actually all throughout scripture. You know, starting at Genesis 4, Cain kills his brother in anger. In Exodus, uh, the pharaoh, he literally has a snake as his symbol of power. Um, All throughout the Old Testament, we see several enemies of Israel worship dragon gods or described like serpents. As we get to the New Testament, we see the Pharisees are called a brood of vipers. Literally, they're, they're baby snakes. Um... And I think if we just stick to scripture, we're fooling ourselves. Um, If God hadn't made a path for us into his family, we too would be offspring of the serpent. Every one of us sins, every one of us is drawn away. Um, Thinking of some personal things, I'm not going to share those. (laughs) But every one of us sins. Um, Paul says this he quotes the Old Testament to the church in Rome. He says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God all have turned aside together they have become worthless no one does good not even one their throats are an open grave now listen to this their tongues they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips all right we're snakes right there we have venom we have we use our tongues to deceive all right so we can look at these offspring of the serpent in scripture and we can think that we're not that bad and if, we're, and if that's true, if we're actually not that bad, it's only because God's gracious gift to us. It's only because of his spirit in us. It's not anything that we're doing. And Paul picks this up again when he writes to the Ephesians. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So just as God's mercy um, existed before time for Adam and Eve, it exists before time for us. And it's for his glory that we've been brought into his family. Okay? It's good for us, but it's for his glory. And it was predestined before the foundations of the world. Okay, so this is that, again, this is that providence coming out. Um, And so we're here, like the man and the woman, and we look at this battle, and we look at our champion, and we have faith, we have faith that this outcome is coming. Um, So what we haven't looked at is exactly who this serpent is that we're in opposition to. Near the end of the book of Revelation, John sees a dragon, and he identifies the dragon as the ancient serpent the devil, and Satan. So there's no confusion here. Some people think there's confusion here. There's not. John tells us who the serpent is. The Bible's very clear. It's not an ordinary serpent. This is the devil. <laughs> All right? The devil was in the garden, and it's his offspring who opposed God. Okay? So we've identified the serpent. Now we're going to look at the offspring. Okay? This is the riddle throughout the whole Old Testament. The whole Old Testament is trying to solve and point to who is this offspring? Um, what we know is he must be entirely opposed to the serpent, enough to, you know, crush his head, right? This means he has to be fully committed to God's plan, that plan that was established before the foundation of the earth. So Eve, again, I think this is chapter four, Eve looks forward to the individual when she names Seth, right? She says, God has appointed me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him, right? The son of the serpent killed Abel, but, God's appointed another one here, but, you know, um, Seth dies. When we look at, you know, the rest of Genesis, we have Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, each had this potential, uh, each are a potential candidate. They're carrying this blessing by, um, from God, but every one of them failed to serve God perfectly. Moses stands up against the Pharaoh, the representation of the serpent, right? But he ultimately disobeys God. He's not allowed into the promised land. And we have Joshua, he's allowed into the promised land, but he doesn't actually follow through with it. David defeats another offspring of the serpent, Goliath. He's even called a man after God's own heart. Like, that's a great thing, and, and we won't get into his failures. We can go through the whole Old Testament and see individual after individual that raises our hopes and our expectations. Um... The Old Testament actually doesn't contain the answer. It just pertains, gives us clues. And uh, Richard Barcelos summarizes many of them. And um, I'm gonna read this quote here. It says, the seed of the woman, the son of Abraham, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one from Jacob who shall have dominion. He is the prophet greater than Moses, one greater than Joshua, the son of David, the child of a virgin, the child born who governs the kingdom of David. He is the branch of the Lord, who build up the temple of the Lord and sit and sit and rule on his throne as a priest, the righteous suffering servant of the Lord. So you could go through the whole Old Testament and that, that's a good collection of clues. So we get to the New Testament and Luke pretty early on in, in his gospel provides the answer. He says, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give to him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever in his kingdom there will be no end that that just one quote from an angel connects to a whole bunch of those clues from the old testament it's real obvious at this point jesus is that offspring that we've been waiting for as we read through the whole old testament But it's more than that. Our champion's not just the offspring of the woman, he's actually God incarnate, he's God in the flesh. So what we learn is what we should have expected from the beginning, God actually doesn't need us to fight his battle, he's gonna fight his own battle. Um, But he does this as using the offspring of the woman, right? He's fulfilling his first promise, he's fulfilling all the other promises, All of them were established, again, before the foundations of the world. And that's where the great news is. The author of Hebrews says, "Um, Therefore, he had been made like his brothers in every respect, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So as an offspring, he was tempted, just like we are, just like Adam was. Um, But unlike us, he lived fully in opposition to the serpent. He understood God's plan and he knew that it was his job to fulfill that plan. And that's what he did. So we have our two champions, we have Jesus and we have Satan. Um, It's important to note that, that the battle here that we're gonna discuss is not between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. Okay, this is between Jesus and Satan. It's not when Moses fought Pharaoh. That was giving us a glimpse forward. It wasn't when David fought Goliath. That's giving us our glimpse forward. In fact, it's not us fighting other people, <laughs> all right? It's Jesus and Satan. That's the battle that's being fought here. And as soon as uh, the battlefield is laid, the serpent immediately goes on the offense, right? He tempts Jesus in the wilderness, loses that battle okay so then later he puts it in the heart of judas to betray jesus puts it in the heart of peter to deny him of the chief priest to prosecute him of the false witnesses to accuse him of pilate to condemn him all right the aim of all of this was to destroy the savior gonna put him to death as a criminal but satan's not in control as we said in the beginning god's in control this is all part of the plan um in fact, just as the Old Testament told us who Jesus was, it also tells us, uh, it also describes this battle in detail. It tells us that he's going to suffer, and it begins in this one pa- the passage that we're looking at in Genesis. It actually says our champion would have his heel struck. Right, but the heel strike would be the ultimate victory for Jesus. So by his death, that's the fatal blow to the devil's kingdom. That's the wound to the head of the serpent. Paul tells the church in Rome that Jesus treads Satan under his people's feet. So it's through the church that Jesus is is triumphing. John writes in Revelation, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Battle over, right? (laughs) There's your victory. The devil's thrown into a lake of fire, Jesus reigns supreme, The snake no longer has venom. It's crawling on its belly. It's not striking. In fact, it's not even crawling on the belly anymore. I just said it's in the fire, right? It's over. It's done. John's revelation continues. He goes on. And this is like, it just gets better, right? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city a New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have all passed away. <laughs> Not like we have ultimate victory right here, right? In fact, I was always taught when I was little, you know, know, the resurrection is going to be, we're going to go back to the garden. It's going to be as good as the garden. It's not going to be as good as the garden. This is better than the garden. (laughs) We're not going back to be tempted by Satan again. We're going to participate in the resurrection. We're going to dwell with God. We'll be his people and God will be with us as our God in a way that's more than what we're experiencing right now. All right, but we have this moment right now. We have to wait in faith. And this is, I'm gonna go back a little bit. We're gonna look at the Old Testament again for just a minute. People in the Old Testament, they had to read clues, right? They had to look for this offspring, and they waited in faith. They waited for that offspring. They knew the serpent was gonna be defeated. They knew the curse would be removed, but they didn't know when and they didn't know how. Um, but they trusted God. They anticipated the birth of the offspring. And today we can go back, we can look at these same scriptures, and we can see Jesus now. We don't, it's not a riddle, we have the answer. Uh, and we've been given a view into the future. We even know how the battle ends, right? We know the whole story. We, we have it, it's, it's in the Bible. But it's not here yet. We're waiting that day of final defeat. We know it's coming, but it's not here. Um, And so, you know, Christians, we still have suffering. Um, Second Corinthians, Paul writes, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So, we are tempted by the devil. Um, Christians are cast into prison, they're persecuted, they're killed, Um, forget who said it, somebody said this while they were praying. But um, Charles Spurgeon said it. This in, this in itself is an encouragement. The sufferings of Christians is an encouragement. Um, Spurgeon says, your suffering as a Christian is not brought upon you for your own sake. You all are partners with a great seed of the woman and you all are Confederates with Christ. You must not think the devil cares much about you. The battle is against Christ in you. And he goes on. Why, if you were not in Christ, the devil would never trouble you. When you were without Christ in the world, you may have sinned as you like. Your relatives and workmates would not have been at all grieved with you. They would rather have joined in with you. But now the serpent seed hates Christ in you. This exalts your suffering, the persecution, to a position far above all common afflictions. So because we've been brought into God's family, we are in opposition to the devil now. We have been given the Holy Spirit as a promise of this inheritance. The Holy Spirit is our sign that the battle has been won. The devil knows he's been defeated. I like this quote from Matthew Henry. He said, while the heel is bruised on earth, it is well the head is safe in heaven. The serpent is just biding his time. He's waiting his ultimate demise because Jesus, God in flesh is our champion and in him we've placed our faith. So, you know, I guess what's the call to action here, right? We live out of that faith. Resist the devil. Rejoice in what God has done for you. I don't know. There's not a lot of kids here. But but, uh, Gary, down in uh, the older kid room, down in Grace Kids, I sit in there with him. My daughter's in there occasionally. Well, not occasionally. She's down there, and I occasionally sit in with him. But he always, uh, he always teaches the kids, calls it the Jonah shuffle. Okay? You turn away from God, turn to sin. There's a dance. I'm not going to do it. But Turn from God, turn away from sin. That's it. That's what it is to live in faith. That's the gift we've been given. We have the ability to turn from sin and turn to God. Um, because we know the faint, the fate of the ancient serpent. Uh, We know it's sealed, and we know that ours is sealed. This is our hope, it's displayed throughout scripture. God is completely sovereign. Even when all looked helpless for the first man and woman um, as they awaited God's righteous judgment, he was there with a plan for redemption designed before creation. So God's remedy for the fall was a battle that he fights for us. And an outcome that was foretold Victory is his, and the glory is his, and all of this is ultimately for our good. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for displaying that grace immediately after the first sin. Thank you for continually displaying your grace to each one of us. Keep us from sin and continue to make your presence known in our lives, as we go throughout the rest of this week and beyond. Amen.